the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Living on the Rock Radio with Pastor Israel Labson. Here you will hear teaching that will challenge you to a deeper walk with Jesus. Whatever place you are in your understanding of God's plan for your life, you will grow closer by listening. No shame, no guilt, and no condemnation. But you will be challenged to a closer walk with God. Now here's Pastor Israel with today's teaching. Do you understand the implication of saying that God is love, period, and you ignore the other attributes of God? Do you know how dangerous that can be? Because without the other attributes of God, He cannot truly be the unconditional loving God that He said He is. In order for God to love, He needs to be just. He needs to be righteous. He needs to be holy. Without those other attributes, the love of God can be not only be misunderstood, but it can be wasted. It could be used to the wrong effect. Do you know why many Christians today just surrender moral values and say, well, you know what? Let's just accept anything that's happening in our world today. It really doesn't matter because God is love. Yes, God is love. And His love is without condition. But His holiness has conditions. So what does that mean to us? It means this. I want you to listen very carefully. Okay? Loving without conditions doesn't mean we love without convictions. Let me say that again. I think you people over there are listening, but I think the people here miss it. Loving God without conditions doesn't mean we love God without convictions. So that brings us to the second point of how we pray. Not only do we pray that we will love unconditionally, but secondly, we must pray that we learn true godly convictions. Oh, this is so important, especially in our society today. All right, look at what it says. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. It's calling us to understand that not only to love without condition, but it's teaching us to learn godly conviction in knowledge and depth of insight. Again, uh, God, God's love is unconditional, but it flows out of His sense of justice, His sense of holiness. We cannot, God cannot love without being just. And he showed that in Jesus, okay? In Jesus, his love and his justice converge, okay? That's what happened on the cross, just in case you didn't know, okay? Just in case you need a picture on what happened on the cross. It's God's love and his justice that converged in Jesus, okay? If he just loved the world... Anybody can live the way they want, and there wouldn't be no sins to be paid for. All right? So you scratch the fact that God is just love. It's true, He is, but He's also just. If He just 
punishes people for their sins, what happens to his love? It'll disappear. So in Jesus, he poured his love and his justice at the same time. So we know the drill. It does, you, you cannot say because God is love, then I can live the most vile life that I want to live and God wouldn't care because he just loves me. You can't make that work. Because God's holiness must be satisfied. That's why when Jesus died, he complete the work. Still the most powerful thing you can hear at communion. Work is complete. It's finished. If, if, if God is love, then everybody gets away with everything. And that's not true. The Bible says that God hates evil. That God hates wickedness. He does. And we can't walk around that. So when we pray, we need to pray that we may learn godly convictions. We must learn what's true and just and right and redeeming and pure and make those convictions the basis, not simply the condition, but the basis for how we love. We are not born with godly convictions. We need to learn godly convictions. It must be taught to us. It must be taught to us by God, by the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God. We must be taught that because without that, we will not have discernment. We, we won't know why we do the things that we do. We will not have a knowledge of, of, of the depth of insight that it takes to discern what, God, what pleases God, what makes life work. We must pray for discernment, discernment to understand why we do the things we do, uh, why we behave the way we behave. We must discern what God is saying in our life. And those, that discernment is part of that, that set of convictions that we have in us. We develop a biblical worldview, and we live our lives on the basis of those convictions. And they're all based on God's holy word. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Convictions tests our motives. Why we live the way we live, why we think the way we think, why we worship the way we worship. Why are these things important? So that we will not misuse the one life that God has given us. God reveals to us through the convictions we learn about the sins in our life to bring us to a change of direction. Yeah, I understand that uh, these are difficult things to, to comprehend, and that's why the Holy Spirit needs to be at work in us because God reveals to us through the convictions what we need to learn about ourselves, what we need to learn about God, what God brings to our lives, and what God wants to take away from our lives. Repent, you know... True believing carries three components, right? Repentance, acknowledgement of Jesus, and obedience. Discerning these three things in our lives will bring us to a higher level of, of, of understanding of what God wants us to, to be. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13 it says, And we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you've heard from us, you accepted it not as human words, but as it, but it is actually is, the Word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Those words point to the fact that our convictions shape who we are. And those convictions must be shaped by the Word of God in order for us not only to live this life gospel-centered, but it might also expound the message of the cross to other people. 
Not only is the Word of God alive, it also, it's also at work or active. It's teaching us convictions and discernment. It reveals the things that we need to get rid of in our lives and the things that we need to bring into our lives. You know, before I became a follower of Jesus, before I became a, a Christian, you know, I didn't think I had any problems with sin. You know, I was born and raised inside the church. You know, I have relatives who were pastors. And I grew up in church. You know, back in the day, uh, my mom uh, didn't go to church on Sunday mornings. She, she went to church on Sunday morning, noon, afternoon, and night. All right? She lived at church. So when I was growing up, I thought I was a pretty good person. You know, I didn't have any issues with sin. I, you know, I'm far from being a sinner. I, I live in the church. All right? You know, the devil can't touch me there. But, you know, it, I have that mindset that, that, that I, you know, that sin to me was murdering your neighbor. That was sin to me. Sin to me was raping somebody or, or, or stealing from someone. To me, that was sin, you know, because I put these categories in my mind, you know. I categorize sin. And it's, it's, it's okay to categorize sin. God does. Uh, God puts a degree on sins. There are some sins that are worse than others, and we do understand that. But listen to me very carefully. Even though there's categories of sin, and even though there are degrees of sin, okay? In other words, murdering someone is not the same as stealing someone's, you know, lunch. They're not the same thing, all right? Okay, although some of you will be thinking, this close to lunch, that's negotiable. It could be a worse thing. But, but no, God says there's a degree of sin, okay? There's a, a sin that's worse than another sin. God gets that. But here's what the Bible says. Whether your sin is categorized as big or categorized as small, here's what's missing in the Bible. An excuse. Did you know that God doesn't give an excuse for small sins? Neither does it give excuse for big sins. So now, before you... Get so arrogant and say, hey, you know, I'm not a sinner. I don't commit big sins. I have small sins. Yes, you do have small sins. But you don't have an excuse for small sins. No one has. And you know what? Small sins can mess you up big time. Let me illustrate it this way. When I was a young man back in the 80s, and I have to admit my age here, we, I, was, I was part of building a church from the ground up back in the early 80s. And we spent a lot of time and energy trying to build that church, making it beautiful. It had new carpet, new paint. You walk in there when it was built, it was the most, you know, pleasant smelling place you've ever been. New carpet, new paint, yeah? But the church was built next to a, a dump site. Uh, you know, I mean, it's not a dump site, but people put their garbage in there, right? And so this big rat found its way inside the church. It really did. This is a true story. And, you know, we panicked. This is a new church, but there's a big rat. We couldn't find where he was hiding. Because we're geniuses, we spread out rat poison all over. And it worked. The rat died of poisoning. But we couldn't figure out where he died in the church. We couldn't figure it out. So for the next two and a half weeks, the church stunk. Because we couldn't find where it died. It was smelly. It was bad. All right? That's how small sins can mess up our lives. 
So before you categorize, before I categorize any of these things, we need to learn how to love without conditions. We need to learn godly conditions, convictions, because in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, it says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the living and enduring word of God. We need to thirdly do this. That we love without conditions, learn godly convictions, and thirdly, that we may live with confidence. It flows. If we learn how to love without conditions, it only means that we're loving with convictions. And if we learn how to love without conditions and love with convictions, the third thing will happen, and that is we will live with confidence. Look at the next verse. Verse uh, 10. It says, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Godly convictions lead to con confident living. We pray that we will live a life worthy of our confessions. We can't be Christians without living like Christians. It's part of the gospel that you and I received and that saved us. You see, many of us have been told that the gospel is simply coming to Jesus, receiving Him as Lord and Savior. And then we die and go to heaven. Can may I ask you to suspend that simplistic understanding of the gospel? We need to pray that we will have confidence in the way we live. And, 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 and godly convictions are essential. But this, this confidence has to happen. We must live with confidence. Now, it's not wrong to say, I'm a Christian because I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and therefore I have the confidence that when I die, I go to heaven. May I just tell you this morning that that's a very small part of the gospel. It's a very small part of the gospel. Trusting in Jesus by faith, of course, we have to do that. We all understand that. But that only gets you to the door. I want you to look at the scriptures and find out where Jesus proclaimed the gospel in the way that we understand it. I mean, I, I want you to, to do your own research. Did you ever hear the Apostle Paul or any of the disciples preach that gospel? Did you ever hear Jesus say, oh, all you need to do is to accept me into your life as your Lord and Savior or, and, and, and I'll forgive you of your sins and when you die, you'll go to heaven. I mean, that's part of it. I'm not minimizing that. But that, that gets us only to the door. You know the gospel that Jesus proclaimed? You know the gospel that the apostles proclaimed, the disciples proclaimed? And you know that the gospel that we're proclaiming right now? You know what it is? It's this. Hey, everybody, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You may now enter. That's what they preach. That's what we need to understand. Why are so many Christians falling into the trap of sin? You know why? Because they're at the door. But they never enter completely. Have you ever been somewhere where you got stuck in the lobby? I have. In fact, let me tell you this story. I had a neighbor who invited me to come to his house. And, you know, I didn't know the guy. So I had chit-chatted with him in front of his house. I just stayed out there on the door. He's a nice guy, you know. And he, he, the house seemed nice from the outside at least. But from the inside, I could, I could see. You know, it's nice. He asked me to come in. And I said, no, no, no. Maybe some other time. And I went on my business. And then another neighbor came up to me and said, have you been inside that guy's house? You know what I said? 
I've been to his house, but not inside. Oh, man, you should have known. You should have got in. Sometimes that's how we are. We're stuck in the lobby. We're stuck at the front door. Oh, yeah, we believe in Jesus. Yes? Amen? We believe in Jesus, but we don't want to go in. And that's why we're defeated in our lives. That's why we doubt so much. That's why we can't get to the first base of where we want to be spiritually. Because we doubt. Now, doubt doesn't mean unbelief. I want you to know that. Everybody doubts. Okay, Doubting is not equal to unbelief. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm doubting. Maybe I'm not a believer. No, 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 no. You are a believer. What is doubting? The Bible definition of doubting is double-mindedness. That means you believe this one thing, but you also believe this other thing. That's what doubting is. Many of us get stuck in that mode because we're at the front door. Right? I mean, we're standing at the front door. Yes, we believe in Jesus, but we also believe some other, ju- <laughs> some other junk <laughs> that comes up. We believe all kinds of other things. No, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the gospel that was preached. You know what the intention was? To get you to come in. All the way in. Not to stay at the front door. Not to stay there, you know, I believe in Jesus. So does the devil. What's the difference between you and the devil? The devil is always prowling around the lobby. We got to get in. You know what the Bible says? You know what the beauty of the gospel is? The kingdom of God, the door is open. Jesus is the door. (laughs) You can go in. The same is true with our relationship with God. Don't assume that you're in. You need to go all the way in. Okay? You may be thinking, well, you know, what's wrong with being at the door? (laughs) Whole lot of things being at the door. All right? Try worshiping right there in the lobby. You don't hear the music too much. You're close to the bathroom. But that's about it. No, I mean, it might not be making sense to you, but many of you, you've been Christians, but you still doubt that God, Jesus is real. Jesus, yeah, I'm not saying you don't believe in Jesus. I'm simply saying it's time to go all the way in the door. Stop being double-minded. But when you go in, you're really saying that Jesus is not just my Savior, Jesus is now my king. And when you enter the kingdom of God, you are not the king. Jesus is the king. And this is where a lot of people get messed up. A lot of people almost walk out when I say this. A lot of people walk out when I do say it. Because when you enter the kingdom of God, you can't sit on the throne. That belongs to Jesus. Well, you can't go on with that lifestyle anymore. Jesus says no. Oh, pastor. God's love is without conditions. I can live any way I want. I can have sex with my dog. And God loves me. Not if Jesus is your king. Not if you're inside his house. When I go inside your house, do you want me to sleep on your bed? Would you? No, no, no. There are certain things that belong to God. You, you, can't, you can't say, I justify doing this because God loves me. Yes, he loves you. Where are your convictions? That's where our society is right now. Somebody, I was having a conversation with somebody. And somebody told me, we don't have a one-alarm fire going on here in our world. We have a 12-alarm fire. We're going to have to understand where we live. Where do you live? Do you live in the kingdom of God? Or do you 
standing out there in the garden. Paul writes, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12, he wrote these things. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame. Because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded, convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Do you trust him enough to go all the way in? Do you trust Jesus to go all the way in? And say, Jesus, I don't understand everything. But Jesus, hold my hand. (laughs) Yeah, you are my king. I don't claim to understand everything that happens. But being on the roof, under the roof of the king says that. You are under the rule of the king. And you know what? When you're under the roof of the king, you are safe. That's called salvation. You're safe. You're safe in the arms of God. This is, nothing, this is not a popular thing to say in our world today. Philippians 1.6 Philippians 1, says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Stop standing at the door. Go inside. He'll complete what he has started. But you need to make him as king. You need to make him as Lord of your life. Forget about all of these. Oh, he's my Savior. When you say that he's your Savior, you only believe that he loves you. That his love for you is unconditional. That's not enough, folks. He needs to develop in you and I the conviction that it takes to be able to honor him with gladness. Oh, you, 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 you're, you're such a fundamentalist. You're such a... You have no grace. Did you know that there's no grace outside the house of the Lord? Do you know where you can find grace? Only inside. You know how many times I've sinned since I came to know Jesus and entered his kingdom? I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to let you guess. But you know, you start thinking about how much you messed up after you entered the kingdom of God. What does 1 John 1.9 say? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, what, what are all of these verses saying to you? You confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us your forgive your sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what that's saying to me? That's saying to me grace. And I can only find that under the roof of my King. I can only find that under the roof, under the rulership of my King. No, He didn't make me one hundred percent perfect since I entered. But I tell you what, the devil's gonna have a hard time trying to convince me. To malign the name of the king that I serve. I do fall. You do fall. But you know what? You get up, don't you? And you got up stronger, don't you? Yeah, I remember, Janine, when you started here, you in the lobby. I remember those days. You couldn't bring it. You know, you can put a gun in her head and she wouldn't sit at the front. But months pass. Years pass. And now she's standing over here taking over my time. That's no good. But that's how it works. Final point. Final thing this morning. Thank you for your patience. The last thing we need to understand when we pray to God, this Christ-centered praying, is that we may have a lasting conformity to Christ. Final verse says, Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. It's saying that once we come to Christ. Our prayers must be inundated with this idea that we are being conformed to the likeness of Jesus. The cross of Christ made it possible for us to be righteous. Without the cross, it will not be possible for us to be justified. 
in right standing with God. That's what it means to be conformed, to be in right standing with God. To be conformed into the image of God means that we put on the righteousness of Christ. We, we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. It's not our own righteousness. It's a foreign righteousness. It doesn't come from us. You cannot fake your way to heaven with your false sense of righteousness. Jesus has to put on his righteousness onto you and I. There's a parable in the Bible, the parable of the banquet, and only those who were dressed up according to how Jesus wanted them dressed up entered the kingdom of God. And the one that wandered in, dressed up like a hobo, got kicked out. Why? Because the Bible says only those who are clothed with the righteousness of Christ will enter. What does it mean to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ? That means we have been placed in right standing with God and our lives then will reflect that. We are being conformed to the image of Christ. The final, final evidence of that has to be in your loyalty to Jesus. Are you loyal to Jesus? Are you a subject of the king? Are you loyal to the royal? Because without that loyalty, you're not wearing the right outfit. Amen? You got to be dressed in the righteousness of Christ. Loyalty to the kingdom of this world doesn't work because Christ demands conformity. God demands conformity to Christ. You've been listening to Living on the Rock Radio with Pastor Israel Labson, a ministry of Living Rock Christian Church in Sunnyvale, California. If you have been helped by this radio program and would like to keep it on the air, your continued prayerful and financial support is greatly appreciated. Please visit livingontherockradio.com where all your tax-deductible gifts will go directly to the radio ministry. That's livingontherockradio.com. Living Rock is a church that doesn't care how you are dressed or what candidate you voted for. A church made up of imperfect people from all walks of life with a hunger and thirst to understand God's plan for our lives. No matter what you've been through or what questions you may have about God and faith, you will find love, grace, and hope at Living Rock Christian Church, 675 East Taylor Avenue in Sunnyvale, with Sunday worship starting at 10.30 a.m. More information at livingontherockradio.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.